I want to really encourage um, you to perfectly consider joining some sort of mission effort this year. Either join one of our local partner ministries within the Chino Valley, but prayerfully consider being a part of something internationally. And here's, here's why. See, I believe that the Bible teaches, not just I, but the Bible teaches that the kingdom of God is global, it's international. The same thing God is doing here, he is doing everywhere. And we have an opportunity to be a part of it. But here's what, what I believe. There's something, not only do we get to be a part of it, but there's something that happens, about, happens to our view of God when we travel internationally and see the very same thing that God's doing here, God is doing there. All of a sudden, God gets bigger and we get smaller. And I think that's an important lesson that each and every one of us need to observe in our lives. And if you're like me, you need to observe it more than once. So Ecuador is a great place to start. Ecuador, I know it's been in the news this last week, and so I talked to Jorge, one of our leaders, said, hey, check this out. I'm going to be talking about Ecuador on Sunday. Leader's like, nah, it'll be fine by the time we go. <laughs> it's going to be fine. So if you're interested in Ecuador, Jorge and Jeff will be out in the lobby or out in the courtyard. Talk to them, meet with them, consider going on a trip. If you have a teenager, consider taking them on a trip with you. Now with that commercial over, let's get into our new series, the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter is widely understood to be the swan song of the Apostle Peter. His, his final letter, his final message written to the Christian church. It was during a time of increased persecution. It was during a time of decreased morality. It was during a time of corruption in the midst of government. It was during a time where there was division between religious leaders and a divided people of God as a result. The Apostle Peter, recognizing that his time is coming to an end as he is preparing for his own martyrdom, his own death at the hands of Nero, the Apostle Peter decides to write one final letter. But if you were the Apostle Peter, if you had one final letter, if you had one final message to give to the church, what would you say? What would bubble up in your heart? What would you feel would be important for the people of God back then and the people of God still today? Well, I believe if you want to understand the book of 2 Peter, you first need to understand Matthew chapter 16. See, Matthew chapter 16, there was this foundational, monumental period of faith with the Apostle Peter. We received a warning from Jesus. He made a powerful confession of Jesus and then received a powerful blessing from Jesus that I think from that point on not only shaped Peter's life and faith, but he believed would shape yours as well. So, before we get into the book of 2 Peter, we're going to take a pit stop in Matthew chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles with me, will you join me? The Gospel of Matthew chapter 16, first book of the New Testament, 
chapter 16. While you're turning there, let me make a little brief commercial for our sermon series guide. As many of you know, every new sermon series that we have, we produce a sermon guide. The staff works hard to develop these, produce these for your benefit for two reasons. Number one, we want you to have a place you can keep notes. If you learn something new on Sunday, write it down. If you're like me, by the time you get busy on Monday, you're going to forget. But it also allows you a chance to write down things that God exposes to your heart. May I think there's something that happens in church. It's not my words. It's something the Holy Spirit does that stirs in your heart when you're reading his word. Write that down as well so that you don't get down the week and forget what God opened your eyes to in this morning. But we also have this sermon guide because we provide questions at the end. See, we believe if you truly want to grow as a Christian, if you want to grow in the image of who Jesus desires you to be, it takes more than an hour on Sunday. It takes time throughout the week, and so Pastor Jeff works hard to develop these questions that allow you an opportunity to equip you to wrestle with the truths of God throughout the week. You can do them on your own during your lunch break at work, or maybe invite some friends from work. You can do them at home with your family, with your small group, with your neighbors. But every week's chapter there's questions for you to go through as well and these sermon guides come in three formats the first is the good old-fashioned spiral bound paper version that hopefully you received when you were coming in Uh, but if you did not pick one up on your way we have leaders ready to hand deliver one to you today only and just raise your hand if you didn't get one and want one and i promise i will do my best to not call you out I'll do my best. So raise it loud and proud. You don't need to be afraid of the pastor unless it's Jared. Oh, it's for, oh, Christina, it's for you? Oh, okay, I thought you were saying he's doing it for me. All right, so raise your hand. I will not call you out unless you're Jared Pacheco, then I might. Uh, if you don't want to spiral bound, you can also download the entire PDF format. Uh, just go to our webpage and look for the series study guide. They're right on the homepage. You can download that onto whatever devices you prefer. Or if you're like, Brian, I'd really rather just have you handle it or just deliver it to me piece by piece, week by week. We can do that too. Just download the Chino Valley Community Church app. Hit the sermon tab down at the bottom. And every week you'll have the notes with the sermon outline. You'll get all the questions, all the introductory material. All that will be given to you each and every week. Pick whatever format you want. Our hope and our desire is that you would use one format. At least one, I should say. So that we can grow in the image of Jesus together. Now that we've gone through all that, let's get into Matthew together. Witness a monumental moment in the life of Peter. That only shaped his life at that moment. But I think something that he wants to use to shape our lives today. Gospel of Matthew chapter 16. We're going to read the first 12 verses. Follow along with me. Matthew 16 says this, begins this way. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came up and testing Jesus. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven, but he replied to them, When it's evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. In the morning, there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times? 
An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. And the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But his disciples began to discuss this amongst themselves, saying, He said that because we did not bring any bread. You ever, well, I'm, but Jesus, aware of this, said, You men of little faith, why do you discuss amongst yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 of how many baskets full you picked up? Or the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets full you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Two reasons why I love this passage. Number one, if you've ever read the Bible, you read a passage of scripture and you're like, I have no idea what that meant. You're in good company. Because there's multiple times the disciples hear from Jesus and they're like, we don't know what he means. But here's the thing. Second reason I love this passage because it gives us the first aspect of what transformed the Apostle Peter's mystery is a warning from Jesus. If you look at verse 5, verse 6, Jesus said to them this, Watch out, beware, that term watch out. That term watch out is a directive to open your eyes, pay attention, wake up. The term beware is similar. It means to be on guard, to be careful as you move forward. He gives a warning. He says, hey, I want you to pay attention. Wake up. Keep your eyes open. And look what he tells them. He warns them about the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, most of the Jews in the area would understand what Jesus is talking about because most often leaven is, is used as a description, as an illustration of sin and wickedness that exists in someone's heart. The first thing Jesus gives the disciples is a warning a warning of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now listen, up to this point, if you read back a little bit in the chapters, there is this thing brewing between the religious leaders and Jesus. They were struggling to accept who he was. They were holding on to their power. They were, they were trying to test him and refute him. If you want to know how Jesus felt about these religious leaders, put your thumb in Matthew 16 a second and flip to the right to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, listen to what Jesus said about many of these guys. And we're just going to be flipping through. So Matthew 23, follow along with me for a few verses, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and his disciples said, the scribes and the Pharisees had seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. Right, he's building them up. They just love the accolades. But look at what he says just a few verses later. He begins these woes, these curses, these confrontational statements. Look at verse 13. Verse 13. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering in. Verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. You get the idea of what Jesus is saying. 16, woe to you blind guides who say, well, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified that gold. Look at verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law. Look at verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. Verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead man's bones and of all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Man, the first warning Jesus gives his disciples in this passage, beware of those false teachers. Man, these leaders who ought to know better these leaders who were given everything, who were equipped to recognize the coming of the Messiah and not only missed it, but placed themselves in opposition to God and are hell-bent on dragging everyone down with them. Isn't that what Jesus said when he opened up? He said, listen, you guys are more adept at understanding the weather than understanding the coming of the Messiah. The first thing Jesus warns Peter and the other disciples, beware of false teachers. Beware of these leaders who claim to recognize truth but are blinded, hypocritical, in opposition to God and looking to drag other people down with them. Beware. They might look righteous on the outside, but they're wicked on the inside. They might have high places in culture, but they hold Jesus in a low place in their heart. Be careful, because they say they're out for your benefit, but they're seeking to take advantage of your soul. First thing Jesus says, beware religious leaders You'd think they're equipped to recognize the truths of God, but these guys have no idea who I am, Jesus says. But it wasn't just the religious leaders who didn't understand who he was. Look farther, look at verse 13. Verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do, who do people say the Son of Man is? Hey, disciples, who does culture say I am? But he uses a very clear messianic term, that son of man. I mean, Jesus wasn't asking for his popularity. Hey, do people like me? That's not what Jesus was asking. Everyone knew people loved Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went, crowds would follow him. People would walk 100 miles just to hear him teach. 
because he taught with authority and power that no one else understood before. Man, Jesus ministered with power. Jesus could help the lame to walk, the blind to see. He can control the weather. He can forgive sins. But along with his authority and his power, man, Jesus had compassion for one of the most influential people in that area. People found Jesus easy to talk with. As if if they could just reach out and touch him, Jesus would understand him and want to help. I mean, someone so busy as Jesus, people thought that even children would be a burden. But Jesus said, even let the kids come. Man, Jesus was special. Everybody loved Jesus. But that's not what Jesus was asking. He wasn't saying, do people like me? He was saying, do people believe in me? Who does culture think that I am? The religious leaders don't know who I am. Who does culture think that I am? Look at the answer, verse 14. And they said, well, some say John the Baptist. Some say, Jesus, you're John the Baptist. Come back from the dead, ready to judge the sins of culture. Others, Elijah. Jesus, you have power like Elijah did, but... You're not looking to lift up the people of Israel to a political place like that, like Elijah was. Maybe you're like Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a powerful teacher. Jesus, you're a powerful teacher like Jeremiah, focused on transforming people's hearts and the way they think. Jesus, some people think you're John the Baptist. Some people think that you're Elijah. Some people think you're Jeremiah. In other words, Jesus, culture's all over the map. Hey, Jesus, if the religious leaders don't know who you are, culture certainly doesn't know who you are. They don't know what's going on, and we might think that our culture is better. Let me give you some recent stats. Just of American people, 92% of Americans believe that Jesus was a real and historical person. 92%. That's good news. However, only 56% believe that he's God and the Messiah. 26% believe he's just a good person that influences culture, similar to Buddha and Muhammad. Still another 18% of Americans aren't sure what significance Jesus attributes. So that's a total of roughly 44% of Americans have some pretty strange ideas about who Jesus is. Just in case you're keeping score. When Jesus was walking the earth, it wasn't much better. Man, the religious leaders missed it. Culture missed it. Right there in the midst of Jesus' ministry, hundreds of people, or thousands of people walking hundreds of miles to come and be with Jesus, and yet people still didn't know who he was or what he did. But that was about to change. Look at verse 15. There's a big, huge biblical butt right there. Again, those are it's my favorite word because it draws our attention, recognizing and telling us that we're going in a different direction. Just when you think no one understands who Jesus is and what he's about, look at verse 15. But then Jesus said to them, his disciples, 
But, okay, religious leaders don't get it. Culture doesn't get it. Big biblical but right there. Who do you say that I am? And that you is plural. He's looking at all his disciples. Who do you say I am? Religious leaders aren't getting it. Culture's not getting it. And we're reading this thinking, well, how on earth are the disciples supposed to know? If the religious leaders don't know, if culture doesn't know, how are the disciples supposed to know? I mean, it's supposed to set us up for this moment. There's no way they're going to get it. Who do you say that I am? Verse 16. Simon Peter speaks up for the group. Simon Peter answers, says, Jesus, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. The first thing we see is a warning from Jesus. Second thing we see is a confession from Peter. One of the most profound professions of faith. Peter, right there in the midst of no one else getting it, Peter says, ooh, 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 I know. Jesus, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one of God. You're the champion of God. You are the one who's going to come and reconcile us. Jesus, you're the Christ, but look at this one. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Man, what a packed phrase. First thing Peter says is he makes a statement about God, a living God. Man, we're not putting our hope and faith in some dead guy memorializing his opinion. No, 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 this God is alive. It's not a piece of wood. It's not a piece of gold. Man, we celebrate the living God. I was thinking this week, how easy, how, how many people are readily willing to believe in intelligent life on other planets, Right? The UFOs come down and green guys with multiple eyes. Like, we're more than willing to believe in that. But not believe in a living God who designed everything that we see and experience. Peter says, no, no, no. I know they don't get it. I know the religious leaders don't get it and they're opposed to you. I know culture doesn't understand it. Jesus, we know. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. You're the heir of all creation. You're the inheritor of all that God owns and sees and does. I want you to remember how powerful that confession is in the midst of no one else getting it. Peter gets it. If if you're familiar with the story of Peter throughout Matthew, you've got to be shaking your head, right? How does Peter get it? Of all the disciples, how does Peter get it? Religious leaders, all their education, they didn't get it. Culture and all their great thinkers and all the Gates kids coming around in one group, they can't figure it out. How did Peter figure it out? Look what Jesus says, verse 17. Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, 
because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, well done, Peter, A plus. But don't get arrogant on this. This isn't your intelligence that figured it out. God revealed it to you. That term, Peter, God made known to you what was previously not known. God was the one who pulled the cover off the box. God is the one who pulled the curtain back so that you could see behind it. Truth of who Jesus is and what he was about wasn't drawn from the wisdom of man, but it was given from the heart of God. First thing we see is a warning in this passage, a warning about false teachers. Second thing we see is this confession of Peter about something that God revealed to him. And I was thinking this week, what a great question for us. In the midst of a kooky culture of his own, where no one else understood who Jesus was, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, who do you say I am? What would you say if Jesus asked you? Who do you say that I am? Man, there's all sorts of so-called religious leaders. They don't get it. Our culture, they're all over the place on who Jesus is. In the midst of all that confusion and all that opposition, who do you say Jesus is? And how can you know? See, I believe it's a powerful revelation of God to you as well. You want to know how you see Jesus? How you have confidence in your heart? How God reveals who he is? Right here through his word. Read it. Allow God to reveal to you what God revealed to him. So in this encounter with Jesus, Matthew 16, we have a warning from Jesus about false leaders. We have a confession about who Jesus is from Peter. And after Peter makes this confession, it follows with three powerful blessings from God. Man, once Peter made this profession of who Jesus is, man, it had this cataclysmic impact, not just on Peter's life, but on the forward movement of the kingdom. Let's go back. First blessing. Verse 17, look back. And Jesus said to him, after Peter professed who he was, he said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Blessed are you. That term blessed means to have contentment, fulfillment, to have peace. Remember, Peter was merely expressing a belief that most believe all the other disciples had as well. And the blessing that Jesus gives to Peter, most believe, is available to all people. All people who place their faith and recognize who Jesus is. And Jesus says, blessed are you, content, fulfilled, peace, man, Peter. May you experience this peace that's beyond human comprehension now that you understand this truth. Isn't that the same idea that Paul talked about in Philippians? Look at this. Philippians 4, he says, be anxious for nothing, 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Man, if you truly know who Jesus is and you understand what he's about, who gets elected at the end of this year doesn't change your future, doesn't change your mission, doesn't change your purpose. What happens to the stock market? What happens to your 401k? What happens to your pastor? Man, none of that should have an impact on your life, on your mission, on your purpose, because you understand who Jesus is. Man, you got to understand how powerful that moment was when Peter professed who Jesus is. Jesus looked at him and said, number one, man, Peter, you don't know how blessed you are, how fulfilled, how much peace. Man, by knowing and understanding that, you're going to have this peace that surpasses human comprehension because you know who I am. The blessing continues. Verse 18 Jesus says, I'm not done. I also say to you that you are Peter. Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Second promise you get is his plan. Man, Peter, this profession, your profession, so powerful, not only is this going to give you a peace as you go through life, as you live in the midst of kooky culture, as you watch corruption in government, as you see division in the church of the people, as you go and face the martyrdom of your own and the loss of your own life because of your faith, Peter, you're going to have this peace. But not only that, I'm going to build my church. Ecclesia, a Greek word for church. It's a compound of two words, ek, which means out of, kaleo which means to call. That word ecclesia, church, literally means called out ones. Jesus described a movement of people called out from culture, called away from their sin, called away from their loss, their fear, their angst, and be about the movement of God instead. So I'm going to build my church on that confession. Man, the church isn't based on political focuses. It's not a social club where just people can come and make friends. Man, the church, it's called out from all of that to be about one single purpose, a reflection of who Jesus is where hundreds and thousands of people, every tribe, every nation, every country can come together as broken people because we all share our need for one thing. And we all share the belief in one thing. And that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. Look at how powerful this movement's going to be. I'm going to build my church, Jesus said, on that confession. And the gates of Hades, man, the very power of death won't overpower it. Man, that curse of death, that curse of sin that we all fear and dread and we know it's coming. Man, death won't even conquer this. This movement is going to be transformational. It's going to be generational. And the curse of sin can't even stop it. Man, if the curse of sin can't stop it, what can they do? 
This is all in that one confession. Man, there was a warning about all these false teachers. Don't put all your stock in all of them. And culture, Peter, who do you say I am? You're the Messiah, Jesus. You're the son of the living God. Jesus says, you're going to have peace. On that confession, I'm going to build this plan, this church, this movement of called out ones, leaving that old life, coming into this new life. Here's the final blessing. His purpose. Every he talks about building his church, he says this, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I give you his purpose. Peter, I'm going to build my church on your confession. The keys to the kingdom means, Peter, you're going to be the one who opens the gateways for others to join you in this confession. And later, Jesus will say, the Pharisees, they're guarding the gate, they're holding the gate, they don't want anyone to come through. Peter, go bust that wide open. You got the keys. Open the gate, allow people to see and confess who Jesus is and be a part of this kingdom. Peter, you're gonna be that guy that God can use to open their eyes, allow them to see him, Peter, as you do. Later on in Matthew, he's going to give that purpose to all the Christians. Acts 1.8 is repeated. Man, our being a part of this movement of building the kingdom of God, sharing the gospel, helping people see Jesus as we do, man, it is not a burden. It's a blessing. It's a blessing given to Peter and it's a blessing given to you. Matthew 16 is a powerful portrait of a monumental moment in the life of Peter. He was warned about the dangers of false teachers. He was aware of the limits of culture and their understanding of who Jesus is. But in the midst of all that confusion, God was at work in Peter and others to reveal himself in a powerful way. And after Matthew 16, Peter left that encounter changed. And I believe in his letter of 2 Peter, Peter is hoping to give you a similar encounter. A similar thing that Jesus warned Peter about in Matthew 16, Peter warns you about in 2 Peter. Beware of false teachers. The same warning Jesus gave Peter in Matthew 16 Peter will give you in his letter. Beware of false teachers. Man, these people who think they understand who God is and they don't know. They love the positions of honor, but they don't care about your soul. They claim to be emissaries of God. But if you look carefully, you'll see that they may be opposed to God and they're hell-bent on dragging you down with them. 
In Matthew 16, Jesus gave Peter a warning, and in 2 Peter, Peter will pass that warning on to you. In Matthew 16, Jesus allowed Peter to make this powerful confession of faith that he'd be able to vocalize and verbalize his heart belief in who Jesus is, something that God revealed to him, this spiritually powerful moment. And 2 Peter, in his letter, he will give you that same opportunity to affirm and be solidified in who Jesus is. Because it's based on that confession of who Jesus is that everything else flows. At the end of Matthew 16, Jesus gave Peter some powerful blessings so he could move forward in confidence, even in the midst of hardship. And in his letter of 2 Peter to Christians, he will pass those same blessings on to you so that you can move forward in confidence, even in the midst of hardship. Love how the Apostle Peter stated it in his letter, and we'll start going over next week. He said this, this is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Peter says, I'm writing this letter so you remember. And I believe that you remember what Jesus taught him in Matthew 16. Peter wants to make sure that you have that same opportunity as well. You want to understand 2 Peter. As a Christian culture, we're divided and broken. Where Christians are asking for direction and just hoping that they know what God is about. Second Peter wrote a letter just for you. Beware of false teachers. Know who Jesus is. And allow the blessings of God from that confession not only fill your life, but empower it for the future. Let's pray. Jesus, we are here this morning. God, many of us, most of us are here because, God, we, we think we know who you are. God, many of us have professed our belief in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But God, if we're honest, we still go in through our life with concerns on how to live. Some of us questions and confusion about what you're about. And maybe in concerned, God, that you can do what you've said. God, we confess can be confusing because there's so many talking heads that seem to say different things. And as a result, Man, even us and our Christian friends seem divided on so many things.
And God, our heart is we just want to, we just don't know what you want. God, we want faith and confidence in moving forward in the direction you're calling. God, we want to see you do amazing things, even more amazing things. In our hearts, in our homes, in our churches, in our community, all over our world. So God, I pray that in these next number of weeks as we go through this letter, from the Apostle Peter, God, may you open our eyes, allow us to see the same things that you allowed him to see. God, may you give us confidence in our confession of who you are. God, give us confidence in your word that we'd be able to discern truth from lies. And that God, give us strength that we'd be faithful to profess who you are to all who would listen. God, in this study, may you not only unite us in your truth, unite us in our confession, but God, may you unite us, unite us in our purpose and your call and direction for our lives. May we pray all these things in Jesus' name.